Section 19 of Captain Singleton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Dennis Sayers. The Life, Adventures, and Piracies of Captain Singleton by Daniel Defoe. We sailed away for the Cape of Good Hope, the beginning of October 1706. Passed by, in sight of the Cape, the 12th of November following, having met with a great deal of bad weather. We saw several merchant ships in the roads there, as well English as Dutch, whether outward bound or homeward we could not tell. Be it what it would, we did not think fit to come to an anchor, not knowing what they might be, or what they might attempt against us, when they knew what we were. However, as we wanted fresh water, we sent the two boats belonging to the Portuguese man-of-war, with all Portuguese seamen, or negroes in them, to the watering place, to take in water, and in the meantime we hung out a Portuguese ancient at sea, and lay by all that night. They knew not what we were, but, it seems, we passed for anything but really what we was. Our boats returning the third time loaden, about five o'clock next morning, we thought ourselves sufficiently watered, and stood away to the eastward. But before our men returned the last time, the wind blowing an easy gale at west, we perceived a boat in the grey of the morning under sail, crowding to come up with us, as if they were afraid we should be gone. We soon found it was an English long-boat, and that it was pretty full of men. We could not imagine what the meaning of it should be, but, as it was but a boat, we thought there could be no great harm in it to let them come on board, and, if it appeared they came only to inquire who we were, we would give them a full account of our business by taking them along with us, seeing we wanted men as much as anything. But they saved us the labor of being in doubt how to dispose of them, for it seems our Portuguese seamen, who went for water, had not been so silent at the watering places as we thought they would have been. But the case in short was this. Captain Blank, I forbear his name at present, for a particular reason, captain of an East India merchant ship, bound afterwards for China, had found some reason to be very severe with his men, and had handled some of them very roughly at St. Helena, insomuch that they threatened among themselves to leave the ship the first opportunity, and had long wished for that opportunity. Some of these men, it seems, had met with our boat at the watering-place, and, inquiring of one another who we were, and upon what account, whether the Portuguese seamen, by faltering in their account, made them suspect that we were out upon the cruise, or whether they told it in plain English, or no, for they all spoke English enough to be understood. But so it was, that as soon as ever the men carried the news on board, that the ships which lay by to the eastward were English, and that they were going upon the account, which, by the way, was a sea term for a pirate, I say, as soon as ever they heard it, they went to work, and getting all things ready in the night, their chests and clothes, and whatever else they could, 
they came away before it was day, and came up with us about seven o'clock. When they came by the ship's side, which I commanded, we hailed them in the usual manner, to know what and who they were, and what their business. They answered they were Englishmen, and desired to come on board. We told them they might lay the ship on board, but ordered they should let only one man enter the ship, till the captain knew their business, and that he should come without any arms. They said, Aye, with all their hearts. We presently found their business, and that they desired to go with us, and as for their arms, they desired we would send men on board the boat, and that they would deliver them all to us, which was done. The fellow that came up to me, told me how they had been used by their captain, how he had starved the men, and used them like dogs, and that, if the rest of the men knew they should be admitted, he was satisfied two-thirds of them would leave the ship. We found the fellows were very hardy in their resolution, and jolly brisk sailors they were, so I told them I would do nothing without our admiral, that was the captain of the other ship, so I sent my pinnace on board Captain Wilmot, to desire him to come on board. But he was indisposed, and, being to leeward, excused his coming, but left it all to me. But before my boat was returned, Captain Wilmot called to me by his speaking-trumpet, which all the men might hear as well as I, thus calling me by name, I hear they are honest fellows, Pray tell them they are all welcome, and make them a bowl of punch. As the men heard it, as well as I, there was no need to tell them what the captain said, and, as soon as the trumpet had done, they sent up a huzzah, that showed us they were very hearty in their coming to us. But we bound them to us by a stronger obligation still after this, for when we came to Madagascar, Captain Wilmot, with consent of all the ship's company, ordered that these men should have as much money given them out of the stock as was due to them for their pay in the ship they had left, and after that we allowed them twenty pieces of eight a man bounty money, and thus we entered them upon shares, as we were all. And brave stout fellows they were, being eighteen in number, whereof two were midshipmen, and one a carpenter. It was the 28th of November when, having had some bad weather, we came to an anchor in the road off St. Augustine Bay, at the southwest end of my old acquaintance, the Isle of Madagascar. We lay here a while, and trafficked with the natives for some good beef, though the weather was so hot that we could not promise ourselves to salt any of it up to keep. But I showed them the way which we practiced before, to salt it first with saltpetre, then cure it by drying it in the sun, which made it eat very agreeably, though not so wholesome for our men, that not agreeing with our way of cooking, viz. boiling with pudding, brewis, etc., and particularly this way, would be too salt, and the fat of the meat be rusty, or dried away, so as not to be eaten. This, however, we could not help, 
and made ourselves amends by feeding heartily on the fresh beef while we were there, which was excellent, good and fat, every way as tender and as well relished as in England, and thought to be much better to us, who had not tasted any in England for so long a time. Having now for some time remained here, we began to consider that this was not a place for our business, and I, that had some views a particular way of my own, told them that this was not a station for those who looked for purchase, that there were two parts of the island which were particularly proper for our purposes. First, the bay on the east side of the island, and from thence to the island of Meridius, which was the usual way which ships that came from the Malabar coast, or the coast of Coromandel, Fort St. George, etc., used to take, and where, if we waited for them, we ought to take our station. But, on the other hand, as we did not resolve to fall upon the European traders, who were generally ships of force and well-manned, and where blows must be looked for, so I had another prospect, which I promised myself would yield equal profit, or perhaps greater, without any of the hazard and difficulty of the former, and this was the Gulf of Mocha, or the Red Sea. I told them that the trade here was great, the ships rich, and the strait of Babamandel narrow, so that there was no doubt but we might cruise, so as to let nothing slip our hands, having the seas open from the Red Sea, along the coast of Arabia, to the Persian Gulf, and the Malabar side of the Indies. I told them what I had observed when I sailed round the island in my former progress, how that, on the northernmost point of the island, there were several very good harbours and roads for our ships, that the natives were even more civil and tractable, if possible, than those where we were, not having been so often ill-treated by European sailors as those had in the south and east sides, and that we might always be sure of a retreat, if we were driven to put in by any necessity, either of enemies or weather. They were easily convinced of the reasonableness of my scheme, and Captain Wilmot, whom I now called our admiral, though he was at first of the mind to go and lie at the island of Meridius, and wait for some of the European merchant ships from the road of Coromandel, or the Bay of Bengal, was now of my mind. It is true we were strong enough to have attacked an English East India ship of the greatest force, though some of them were said to carry fifty guns, but I represented to him that we were sure to have blows and blood if we took them, and after we had done, their loading was not of equal value to us, because we had no room to dispose of their merchandise, and as our circumstances stood, we had rather have taken one outward-bound East India ship with her ready cash on board, perhaps to the value of forty or fifty thousand pounds, than three homeward-bound, though their loading would at London be worth three times the money, because we knew not whither to go to dispose of the cargo, whereas the ships from London had abundance of things we knew how to make use of besides their money, 
such as their stores of provisions and liquors, and great quantities of the like sent to the governors and factories at the English settlements for their use, so that if we resolved to look for our own country ships, it would be those that were outward bound, not the London ships homeward. All these things considered brought the admiral to be of my mind entirely, so after taking in water and some fresh provisions where we lay, which was near Cape St. Mary, on the southwest corner of the island, we weighed and stood away south, and afterwards south-southeast, to round the island, and in about six days' sail, got out of the wake of the island, and steered away north, till we came off Port Dauphin, and then north by east, to the latitude of thirteen degrees forty minutes, which was, in short, just at the farthest part of the island, and the admiral, keeping ahead, made the open sea fair to the west, clear of the whole island, upon which he brought to, and we sent the sloop to stand in round the farthest point north, and coast along the shore, and see for a harbour to put into, which they did, and soon brought us an account that there was a deep bay, with a very good road, and several little islands, under which they found good riding, in ten to seventeen fathom water, and, accordingly, there we put in. However, we afterwards found occasion to remove our station, as you shall hear presently. We had now nothing to do but go on shore, and acquaint ourselves a little with the natives, take in fresh water, and some fresh provisions, and then to sea again. We found the people very easy to deal with, and some cattle they had, but it being at the extremity of the island, they had not such quantities of cattle here. However, for the present, we resolved to appoint this our place of rendezvous, and go and look out. This was about the latter end of April. Accordingly, we put to sea, and cruised away to the northward for the Arabian coast. It was a long run, but as the winds generally blow trade from the south and south-southeast from May to September, we had good weather, and in about twenty days we made the island of Socotra, lying south from the Arabian coast, and east-southeast from the mouth of the Gulf of Mocha, or the Red Sea. Here we took in water, and stood off and on upon the Arabian shore. We had not cruised here above three days or thereabouts, but I spied a sail, and gave her chase. But when we came up with her, never was such a poor prize chased by pirates that looked for booty, for we found nothing in her but poor half-naked Turks going a pilgrimage to Mecca to the tomb of their prophet, Mahomet. The junk that carried them had no one thing worth taking away but a little rice and some coffee, which was all the poor wretches had for their subsistence. So we let them go, for indeed we knew not what to do with them. The same evening we chased another junk with two masts, and in something better plight to look at than the former. When we came on board, we found them upon the same errand, 
but only that they were people of some better fashion than the other, and here we got some plunder, some Turkish stores, a few diamonds in the eardrops of five or six persons, some fine Persian carpets, of which they made their saffras to lie upon, and some money, so we let them go also. We continued here eleven days longer, and saw nothing but now and then a fishing boat, but the twelfth day of our cruise we spied a ship, and indeed I thought at first it had been an English ship, but it appeared to be an European, freighted for a voyage from Goa, on the coast of Malabar, to the Red Sea, and was very rich. We chased her, and took her without any fight, though they had some guns on board, too, but not many. We found her manned with Portuguese seamen, but under the direction of five merchant Turks, who had hired her on the coast of Malabar of some Portugal merchants, and had laden her with pepper, salt, peter, and some spices, and the rest of the loading was chiefly calicoes and wrought silks, some of them very rich. We took her and carried her to Socotra, but we really knew not what to do with her, for the same reasons as before, for all their goods were of little or no value to us. After some days we found means to let one of the Turkish merchants know that if he would ransom the ship, we would take a sum of money and let them go. He told me that if I would let one of them go on shore for the money, they would do it. So we adjusted the value of the cargo at thirty thousand ducats. Upon this agreement, we allowed the sloop to carry him on shore at Dofar in Arabia, where a rich merchant laid down the money for them and came off with our sloop, and on payment of the money, we very fairly and honestly let them go. Some days after this we took an Arabian junk, going from the Gulf of Persia to Mocha, with a good quantity of pearl on board. We gutted him of the pearl, which it seems was belonging to some merchants at Mocha, and let him go, for there was nothing else worth our taking. We continued cruising up and down here till we began to find our provisions grow low, when Captain Wilmot, our admiral, told us it was time to think of going back to the rendezvous, and the rest of the men said the same, being a little weary of beating about for above three months together, and meeting with little or nothing compared to our great expectations. But I was very loath to part with the Red Sea at so cheap a rate, and pressed them to tarry a little longer, which at my instance they did. But three days afterwards, to our great misfortune, understood that by landing the Turkish merchants at Dofar, we had alarmed the coast as far as the Gulf of Persia, so that no vessel would stir that way, and consequently nothing was to be expected on that side. I was greatly mortified at this news, and could no longer withstand the importunities of the men to return to Madagascar. However, as the wind continued still to blow at south-southeast by south, we were obliged to stand away towards the coast of Africa and the Cape Gardafui, 
the winds being more variable under the shore than in the open sea. Here we chopped upon a booty which we did not look for, and which made amends for all our waiting. For the very same hour that we made land, we spied a large vessel sailing along the shore to the southward. The ship was of Bengal, belonging to the great Mogul's country, but had on board a Dutch pilot, whose name, if I remember right, was Vandergast, and several European seamen, whereof three were English. She was in no condition to resist us. The rest of her seamen were Indians of the Mogul's subjects, some Malabars and some others. There were five Indian merchants on board, and some Armenians. It seems they had been at Mocha, with spices, silks, diamonds, pearls, calico, etc., such goods as the country afforded, and had little on board now, but money in pieces of eight, which, by the way, was just what we wanted, and the three English seamen came along with us, and the Dutch pilot would have done so too, but the two Armenian merchants entreated us not to take him, for that he being their pilot, there was none of the men knew how to guide the ship, so at their request we refused him, but we made them promise he should not be used ill for being willing to go with us. We got near two hundred thousand pieces of eight in this vessel, and if they said true, there was a Jew of Goa who intended to have embarked with them, who had two hundred thousand pieces of eight with him, all his own. But his good fortune, springing out of his ill fortune, hindered him, or he fell sick at Mocha, and could not be ready to travel, which was the saving of his money. There was none with me at the taking this prize but the sloop, for Captain Wilmot's ship proving leaky, he went away for the rendezvous before us, and arrived there the middle of December. But not liking the port, he left a great cross on shore, with directions written on a plate of lead fixed to it, for us to come after him to the great bays at Mangahali, where he found a very good harbour. But we learned a piece of news there that kept us from him a great while, which the admiral took offence at. But we stopped his mouth with his share of two hundred thousand pieces of eight to him and his ship's crew. But the story which interrupted our coming to him was this. Between Mangaheli and another point, called Cape St. Sebastian, there came on shore in the night an European ship, and whether by stress of weather, or want of a pilot, I know not, but the ship stranded, and could not be got off. We lay in the cove, or harbour, where, as I have said, our rendezvous was appointed, and had not yet been on shore, so we had not seen the directions our admiral had left for us. Our friend William, of whom I have said nothing a great while, had a great mind one day to go on shore, and importuned me to let him have a little troop to go with him, for safety, that they might see the country. I was mightily against it for many reasons, but particularly I told him he knew the natives were but savages, and they were very treacherous, and I desired him that he would not go, and had he gone on much farther, 
I believe I should have downright refused him, and commanded him not to go. But, in order to persuade me to let him go, he told me he would give me an account of the reason why he was so importunate. He told me, the last night he had a dream, which was so forcible, and made such an impression upon his mind, that he could not be quiet till he had made the proposal to me to go, and, if I refused him, then he thought his dream was significant, and if not, then his dream was at an end. His dream was, he said, that he went on shore with thirty men, of which the coxswain, he said, was one, upon the island, and that they found a mine of gold, and enriched them all. But this was not the main thing, he said, but that the same morning he had dreamed so, the coxswain came to him just then, and told him that he dreamed he went on shore on the island of Madagascar, and that some men came to him, and told him they would show him where he should get a prize which would make them all rich. These two things, put together, began to weigh with me a little, though I was never inclined to give any heed to dreams. But William's importunity turned me effectually, for I always put a great deal of stress upon his judgment, so that, in short, I gave them leave to go, but I charged them not to go far off from the sea-coast, that, if they were forced down to the seaside upon any occasion, we might perhaps see them, and fetch them off with our boats. They went away early in the morning, one and thirty men of them in number, very well armed, and very stout fellows. They travelled all the day, and at night made us a signal that all was well, from the top of a hill, which we had agreed on by making a great fire. Next day they marched down the hill on the other side, inclining towards the seaside, as they had promised, and saw a very pleasant valley before them, with a river in the middle of it, which, a little farther below them, seemed to be big enough to bear small ships. They marched apace towards this river, and were surprised with the noise of a piece going off, which, by the sound, could not be far off. They listened long, but could hear no more, so they went on to the riverside, which was a very fine, fresh stream, but widened apace, and they kept on by the banks of it, till, almost at once, it opened or widened into a good large creek or harbour, about five miles from the sea and that which was still more surprising, as they marched forward, they plainly saw, in the mouth of the harbour, or creek, the wreck of a ship. End of section 19 of Captain Singleton, read by Dennis Sayers in Modesto, California, for LibriVox.